Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Sensational, the Special Educational Needs Podcast, which is brought to you by Witherslack Group. Our podcast is all about celebrating neurodiversity and empowering parents and carers with further knowledge and understanding to support the children and young people in their care. Providing this important advice and support is something that we take great pride in here at Witherslack Group. And so I hope that everyone listening today finds our discussion useful but enjoyable as well. So my name is Claire, I'm the events manager for the group and I'll be hosting today's podcast focusing on managing changing routines and special occasions. Today I'm recording this session from our head office in Cumbria and I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast one of my colleagues and our guest for today's session, Elaine Buckton, who is a senior therapist for Winslack Group Clinical Services. So welcome to the podcast, Elaine. Thank you very much, Claire. Thank you. So now I know I've given a little bit of an introduction there, but would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and and your work? Yes, so I'm employed by the group as a senior therapist. I've worked for the group for about three years now. Um, Being a senior therapist means that I have my own caseload, um, one-to-one clients in one of our schools, and I work in one of our homes as well. Um, It also means that I support other therapists with their clients in terms of being their supervisor. And obviously, I do a lot of systemic work in settings um, around mental health and making sure that everybody's okay. That's great, Elaine. Uh, So so thanks so much for that introduction there. So so when we look at managing changing routines and special occasions, it can it can be something that causes a lot of worry um, for neurodiverse children and their families. We all look forward to things, you know, like weddings and family gatherings and parties and whatnot. Um, but there really are a lot of things um, to consider, aren't there, for a child with additional needs to try and help them. And, you know, everybody involved really have, have the best time possible. So hopefully we'll be able to offer some um, advice and support today to families, which will, will, will help them. Um, so, so now we'll move on to our discussions today. And to begin with, here's our first question. So, like most things, planning and preparation could really make the difference, couldn't it, Um, when taking children out of their comfort zone. So what are the key things to remember and plan for when preparing for changes to routine or attending these special occasions? Yeah, well, like you say, Claire, planning and preparation are absolutely key and we can't begin too early as soon as we know that something's going to happen, we can start thinking about how that might happen and how that might look for our young people. And it's almost impossible to overthink it. So the more detail that we can think about that in, the more chances that we have of enabling our young person to be able to engage in that situation, whatever it is. So the first question that we need to ask ourselves is where will it be? Because it's often not taking place in the in the space where that young person yeah, spends the majority of their yeah, time. Yeah. So thinking about um, where will it be, what will it look like? It's a really good idea if we as adults can scope that venue out first, um, familiarise ourselves with it. We might look at some pictures online. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of places have a little video now that shows you things like function yeah, rooms. Like cause, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly, because they want you to have a look before before you book, don't they? Um, or even doing a pre-visit to acquaint ourselves yeah. with the surroundings. And that's something that we can do with our young people as well. We might want to take them along, even if it's just looking at the building from the outside. If we can get inside, so much the better. If not, those little videos, those pictures, showing that young person the space that they'll be in will help them to be able to start visualising what that might look like for them. 
So once we've got over where it will be, the next question is who will be there? Um, it might be that there are a lot of familiar people for that young person, say if it's a family occasion, or it might be that there are a lot of unfamiliar people for those unfamiliar people for those young people to get um, used to. So who, who will be there? And we can do that by obviously talking to the young person. We can look at pictures of people. Yeah. If it's people that they haven't met for a long time, um, we might want to show them pictures so they can familiarise themselves. Some people change, don't they? Yeah. They, might, they might have had a little playmate so when they were... Well, yeah. Exactly, when they were five, but they might yeah. be seeing this, this other person again when they're like 11 yeah. or 12, and we might need to say, yes, this is that person that you knew. Again, you can think about doing a pre-meet. You can think about getting in touch with people beforehand, whether you want to do that online. You can yeah. do it through Zoom or on your iPhone. You can use FaceTime. There's so many options now, isn't there, of how to do those sorts of Oh, so making sure that there's some familiar people for that young person, even if it means making young introdu- new introductions beforehand, mm-hmm. that can be really, really helpful. The other thing to consider about who's going to be there is that there's often different rules in a social situation than there are in right. more more form. You know, so in a situation where you know, in a family home or even in a school. A young person will be used to people being in a certain way and often we'll go to functions like this and we say adults behaving very differently yeah. from how from how, <laughs> we don't usually say uh, mum and dad up dancing, we don't usually say uncle and auntie when they've had a drink. So yes. think, yeah. thinking about that and how we might be different and adults around them might be different and other young people around them might be different and how we can help our young people to cope with that. And then thinking about the day itself, Simple things like what will they wear? Um, It's too late to get to half an hour before you have to leave the house and find out there's itchy bits of lace on the dress that make it really, really unbearable for that young person to wear or that the socks have got seams in or that the shoes are too tight. Um, Don't be afraid to put your young person in whatever's comfortable for them regardless of what what other people might be expecting on the day for everyone yeah yeah Yeah. absolutely so thinking about what what will they wear thinking about the structure of the day getting a timetable in advance if we can and having those frequent matter of fact low level conversations with our young people you know starting from long before the day about what's going to happen you know in, in we don't have to be labor it just doing it in short sharp bursts you know this will happen then this will happen giving a countdown to changes. So everybody's eating right now, but in half an hour, the tables are going to disappear. And, you know, just just giving a countdown to those key change points in the day, because often if, you know, if it's a function that goes on for a few hours, not only is the function a change, but there'll be a lot of change within the function itself. Different people doing different things at different times. So having that timetable and being able to give the countdown to those changes. Um, And the other thing to really have a think about is, things that can help your young person cope on that day. Mm-hmm. So having kind of a comfort pack with you, yeah, maybe right. maybe yeah, that yeah. would be photos of familiar things. It might be a favourite toy. It might yeah. be a dreaded electronic device, which lots of people have very strong opinions of. But having your young person settled and engaged in a bit of Fruit Ninja on the iPad, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's much better than having them in crisis and distressed and, yeah. you know, yeah. kind of like disrupting an event in that way. So thinking about a few things that you can have with you, you might want a little backpack 
via young yeah. person even the carrying of a backpack can be really secure for them yeah. it feels a little bit like having a cuddle so if, even having just a bag with a few bits and pieces in that's going to help your young person get through that day the, be- the best that they can so there's all these things to think about and that's why we say we can't begin planning too early yeah well what what a great start already some fantastic um things to you know that people can take note of and to perhaps use for things that they've got coming up so thanks ever so much for that so elaine and moving on now to our next question in your opinion how can social stories help when looking at changing routines and special occasions so social stories can help young people to manage a whole range of occasions for you know from little occasions to big occasions any change in routine and it's really important to say at this point that all the strategies we're going to talk about today are about enabling um, young people to engage in what we would consider to be you know in inverted commas the normal world we're not looking to change our young people we're only looking to skill them up and things like social stories give them a little bit of knowledge and what that can do is take their worry away so we're not looking to change them we're not even looking to change their behavior we're just looking to give them knowledge and skills so that everything's a little bit less anxious so Social stories can help neurodiverse people, children and adults to understand social behaviour that's expected in certain specific situations. So when you used a social story, you would look at one specific situation at, at a time. So because neurodiverse individuals might not pick up on social cues like the rest of us do, like body language, facial expressions, gestures, things like eye contact. We can use a social story. Usually that will use words, pictures or a combination of words and pictures to explain explicitly details about what's coming up and what's likely to happen. So we can use that to explain um, the setting. And then in a social story, we would look at what typically happens in that setting. Mm-hmm. And then we would go one step further and look at what actions or behaviours are expected of children in that setting. And yeah. then we can look at personalising that to that young person. Social stories, the repetition of them helps our young people to practice and internalise the messages in the story. And what once we've got that story on the go, again, it's kind of frequent low level interventions let's have another look at that can you remember what the story said we should do then and by that we're helping them to internalize that information and we're giving them that information so by the time we actually come to do it they've actually rehearsed it and practiced it quite a few times in their head so you'll often see social stories set out like comic strips you know, with with a combination of words and pictures and we'll have thought bubbles for what people might be thinking on the inside and we'll have speech yeah. bubbles to show what they're saying on the outside. Um, just really, really useful opportunities to talk about those really specific situations and what's expected of a young person in those situations. Yeah. And then we're not relying, them, haven't, relying on them to have to pick up those kind of vague social cues that that even you know the most socially skilled people are apt to get wrong sometimes of course of course absolutely absolutely okay and so moving on now um and I know this is something you felt it might be important to discuss early on in the podcast so what are the things to consider before confirming attendance at a special occasion so I'm, I'm really um passionate about this and do we really need to be there um not feeling guilty and worrying about other people's expectations if the answer is it's a bit much for us as a family at the moment it's perfectly all right to say no 
no is a sentence in itself. You don't really have to offer any reason yeah. whatsoever. But if it is going to be a bit much, then it's perfectly okay to say no. So the first question that we have to ask ourselves is, do we really need to be there? If we decide that we do really need to be there and we are going to have a go, how are we going to make that work? How much of the day do we think that we really need to participate in? Don't feel guilty yeah. about, about dipping in and out. We might go for the meal, but not stay for the disco. If we think yeah. that that you know loud music and flashing lights are going to be a bit overwhelming. So if we do decide that we need to show our faces, what's that going to look like? And how are we going to like help yeah. to make that work for that young person that we're, that we're taking with us? We are often as parents and carers caught up in our beliefs about what we think a young person needs. Uh, you know, well, they've got to have a birthday. Um, and I've had this conversation with a lot of parents. Do they have yeah. to have a birthday? If yeah. they are going to have a birthday, why does it have to look like everybody else's birthday? Yeah. Why can't we be doing something bespoke that really, really suits them? And the fits with their characteristics and everything. Yeah. Ab- absolutely. So we, as as Parents, carers and professionals who um, like care passionately for these children need to step away from the idea that every child has to have the same experiences yeah. mm-hmm. um, and not be afraid to either just say no to all of it, say no to part of it, or to say, actually, we are going to do that, but we're going to make it look really bespoke and we're going to put something yeah. in place that really yeah. suits our our young person and can help them to experience an event in a positive way. Because if we have a negative experience of an event, then we're less likely to be able to attend the next one. Yeah. And what we'll be hoping on is building, wouldn't we? So yeah. there's something yeah. about starting small and getting bigger and for me that, yeah, that's really useful. I think it's such an important point, that really, really good stuff. Okay. Um, so at any celebration, we all know there's fairly it's likely to be a fair amount of people and a lot of chatter and noise going on. So so what about communication and planning for those interactions with other people, you know, outside of their usual bubble? Yeah, so it's it's I would say it's perfectly all right to brief other people beforehand and to yeah. ask for minimal interaction if that's what your young person needs. So we are getting better at recognising things like the sunflower lanyards, you yeah. know, meaning that a young person or, or an older person is living with an autistic spectrum yeah. condition and therefore might need approaching with a little bit more caution than we usually would. But it's perfectly reasonable to kind of brief especially the adults in that situation beforehand um, and help them to understand what it is that your young person needs. Um, As I mentioned before, a little pre-meet, either in person or online, so that there are some familiar faces and people that your young person might feel a little bit more confident in interacting with. It helps if we can teach um, a simple introduction and practice it. That's something really easy to practice at home. Yes, yeah. either between yourselves or by getting somebody to pop round. Or again, mm-hmm. you know, it's easy to do in Zoom, FaceTime, online. So if somebody comes up to you and says hello, here's an appropriate response. Hi there, my name is whatever your name is. And maybe looking at a handshake or a fist bump or something yeah. really like user friendly. Like that's something that, you know, if, if you've got a little person in front of you and they're going for a fist bump, there's not many adults aren't going to join in with yeah, that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Then, but, you know, if they manage that, if they manage the hand, hi, my name is, 
handshake, fist bump, being ready to kind of like celebrate that every day. Well, well done. You yeah, know, yeah. Keep it low level. We don't want to get them over excited. But, you know, we, we can go a bit nuts with the low level praise there. You know, that yeah. was amazing. Well done. And then we're encouraging that behaviour that, that we want to see. Um, the other thing to remember is that probably you, not that you wouldn't anyway, or another trusted adult should probably remain close in yeah. case in case young person gets a little bit overwhelmed with those interactions, no matter how well they're going, and they might need a little bit of shielding from that. Sometimes yeah. sometimes young people, they want to get away, but they feel quite rooted to the spot mm-hmm. because there's expectations around them and you might need to kind of step between your young person and yeah. what's going on and pull them back a bit and just give them permission to step back. Okay, so let's talk about safe spaces and the difference that having a safe space or one prepared in advance can make to a child? Yeah, I would always say if it's possible to have a safe space planned in advance. So that again goes back to knowing the venue, possibly having a little bit of a scope out yourself or finding somebody who you can ask questions of. So it's knowing where that safe space might be and then having a plan about how you'll get into it if it's needed. So you might want to, you know, you can use a social story for this as well if you want to. You know, this is this is what will happen if, if we get overwhelmed. Um, yeah. How can your young person let you know without the behaviour escalating to the point where it's difficult to manage that they might need to access a quieter, yeah. safe, quieter space? So when we talk about safe spaces, we're looking for somewhere with minimal stimulation. So, mm-hmm. you know, if we've had flashing disco lights or something, yeah. we might want somewhere quite dark. If there's been noise, if there's been music chatter we might want somewhere that's a little bit more quiet so somewhere where everything's just a little bit more muted where you and your young person can just breathe together and just just see if we can get them back to baseline and then make an informed decision about whether we want to re-enter what's going on over there or whether we're just going to call it a day absolutely celebrate what we've what we've managed to achieve and get in the car and it's worth thinking about your car if one of you is driving as a potential safe space because that's a familiar environment for that young person so if it's not right to do it within the building or not easy to access a safe space within the building even your own car even they getting alongside them in the back seat and just sitting side by side and having a bit breathe through it and knowing how your young person's going to let you know, like, I've had enough of this noisy, overstimulating, there's yeah. too many people, um, how how are they going to let you know that it's time to access that safe space? Or what signs are you going to watch for so that you know yeah. you're yeah. going to say, you know, so if you say to them, time out, or a phrase of your choice, if um, you might want, yeah. want to use yeah. time out, if time out has bad connotations, bad, yeah, yeah. you might want to choose but, something but That'll all be down to the individual, won't it? Absolutely. The use, there'll be something that people can come up with. Absolutely. So that code yeah. word from yeah. either side, and then there's that agreement that we're going we're gonna to leave together at this point and make a decision about whether we want to come back or not. I think as well, you know, um, the safe spaces, it just sounds like just having that pre-planned offers so much reassurance to both Mm. the parent carer and the children as well because just knowing that if it all gets too much at least I know I can go there that in itself will Mm -hmm. offer so much um so much reassurance won't it um on on the day um so um moving on now something that can really impact children and young people particularly in uh, moments of heightened emotions can be food and the food that they are presented with 
Um, so, and we all know like at weddings, parties, it's just a different setup, isn't it? Whichever one you go to, they do it differently. It's different tastes, you know, different styles of food. So what would your advice be surrounding this? So children don't have to be neurodiverse to, the, to be picky eaters. Absolutely. But, Absolutely. We, but we do know that children who live with neurodiversity can be very limited in terms of what they'll eat. Um, they are hypersensitive to taste, textures. Um, some of them, you know, will want to use a knife and fork. Some of them won't want to yeah. use a knife and fork. Some of them are more comfortable eating with their hands. So, again, this is about planning and preparation. This is about asking questions in advance. You know, mm -hmm. what what food is going to be offered? What time are we going to eat? If you've got a young person who's used to having their dinner at four o'clock and food isn't coming out till seven, you know, you're yeah. going to have a very hungry young person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Apart yeah. from anything else, you, you're going to have somebody who's like, you know, tired and in a really different situation and really quite hungry, which won't make for like a desirable experience for anybody. So if it's going to be wildly different from what they're used to yeah. um, in terms of timings or in terms of what they would usually eat at home or in more familiar surroundings don't worry about things like taking your own food it's and eating it at a time that yeah. suits them um i mean most people shouldn't object to that really yeah. um if people do object to it it's just a bit tough that's one of those yeah, things yeah. That, that you're just yeah. going to have to do to keep your young person okay so you might want to take your own food if they're more like happy with like finger food it's worth At lunch type thing yes and it's worth mentioning that crunchy foods and chewy foods have both been used to kind of like lower like kind of right. stimulation so if you've got a child that's really like hyper stimulated getting a little bit anxious crunchy and chewy foods right, okay. can be really centering and um, there's more and more study going on so thinking about the textures of the food that you're offering um eating at different times for everybody else is fine you can always find a quiet corner go to the back seat of your car it's yeah. it's, it's absolutely yeah. fine to do that um if you are going to eat as a group you might want to talk to somebody about organizing a quiet table yeah um your young person is unlikely to be the only young person there who does better when they've got a bit of a quieter environment so we might look at having like a kids table or a quiet table away from the main table um and don't feel guilty absolutely don't feel guilty about giving your young person an ipad or a phone yeah to yeah. keep them quiet at the table to keep them distracted to keep them centered because the other thing that happens around food with these big occasions that doesn't tend to happen at home is waiting there can be a lot of waiting while something is cleared and something else comes back they can be waiting in line for a buffet and we don't usually associate associate that with food at home so that yeah. can be a massive massive difference so having that comfort pack having them favorite toys so you know, whether they're fidget toys whether it's something that distracts them far better having you know a kind of peaceful happy young person yeah. who's sitting there yeah. just enjoying what they're doing than having a child who's coming close to crisis because they're not used to this waiting and they're not really yeah. sure what's happening so don't feel guilty about whatever you have to employ to keep them kind of settled at yeah. those at those eating times yeah okay so the the next question is two questions in one really so ultimately things might not go as hoped and um, there could come a time during a wedding or a family gathering of some kind where a child is about to reach a crisis point. So what can parents and carers do to help them in that moment? 
and what can they do to try and prevent a child from actually reaching this point? Yeah, so this is all about early intervention and the the earliest intervention possible as all, um, you know, behaviour management and crisis management strategies are. Um, This is about nobody knowing your young person better than you do and you having the confidence to kind of step in. As soon as you say that things might not be absolutely 100% for them um, and responding in that same compassionate and predictable way as you always do, because the one thing that can be constant through any of these situations is your relationship with that child. Yeah. How, how you behave with them. So giving them them compassionate and predictable reactions that they would always get no matter what's going on around yeah. you, no matter how daft you might feel about about doing something. It's that yeah. childlike experience and that um, expected behaviour from their caregiver. This is another time to look at things like comfort packs, favourite toys, distractions, safe spaces with minimal stimulation, mm-hmm. you know, making sure that we're going to have access to that. Having the confidence, as you said before, to know that we're going to have access to all that and having yeah. these plans in place, both for us as carers and for the for the young people. And then I think the key thing is being prepared to leave and showing, you know, demonstrating to your young person that there's nothing more important to you in that moment than mm-hmm. them and if, sure. if it's becoming clear that they've had enough if they've done everything they can it's about celebrating everything that they've achieved my yeah. goodness me you got up this morning you got dressed you came here you've had something to eat you've talked to auntie betty you've done this you've done look well, at all that as children will be massive achievements massive achievements so look at like, all you've achieved I think it's probably time to go home now yeah. and not not even acknowledging maybe that things aren't going quite right or, mm-hmm. you know, that they've taken a downward turn and certainly not focusing on what we fail to accomplish, you know, yeah, just yeah. just looking at what we have accomplished, even if it's just been 20 minutes, you know, that's 20 minutes that maybe would have been impossible for your young person yeah. this time six months ago before you started talking about this event. So focusing on what's what's been accomplished and just yeah. ignoring what hasn't. Um, yeah. you know and that's no, going to really boost right. their self-esteem yeah. yeah no okay so so that that's great we'll, we'll go on to our next um question now and I think this next one is a really important one it comes up an awful lot when we're holding our webinars and we have a Q&A at the end and people get the opportunity to ask their own questions to the speakers so um so how can parents and carers help relatives neighbors guests at parties or, or even other parents like on the playground or whatever um, to better understand their child and, you know, what their responses are to certain situations. This is really easy to say from a professional point of view, isn't it? Yeah. We, we all know what the answer is. We, we all know it's perfectly all right for your young person to behave, however they're behaving and experience the world, however they're experiencing mm-hmm. it. And really what we all want to sit here is, and say is that other people will just have to get over it. But yeah. it's, it's really, really not that easy in practice. Yeah. And, you know, as I'm answering this question, I'm answering this question not only from the perspective of a professional, but as the parent of a, of a fantastic um, neurodiverse, you yeah. know, young woman now. She's, yeah. she's no longer a girl. Um, but just from that perspective of understanding what other parents and caregivers will be experiencing in that regard, uh, the best advice that can be is just to be honest. Be honest. Have those open conversations about neurodiversity Mm -hmm. and how it can sometimes 
not always, but sometimes make situations a little bit more difficult. But I think we should always frame those conversations in the context of it only being difficult because of what everybody else expects. Yes. Yeah. It's not mm-hmm. your young person that's causing the difficulty, actually. It's everybody else's expectations. Yeah. So I think having a, an open conversation about how rigid people's yeah. ideas are of how children yeah. should like look and behave and sound and yeah. you know if, if other people didn't have those expectations our young people would not be viewed as problematic in, in any way and then, yeah, so yeah. we just need to look at it as being more of a, of a diverse collective of individuals rather than these children are normal in inverted commas and these children are not yeah we just need to get our heads around that diversity Never apologise because your young person isn't meeting somebody else's expectations. Never say sorry. You can have those open and honest conversations, but we don't have to apologise for our children's behaviour. Again, it's our expectations that are the problem. It's it's other people in that situation rather than our child being problematic in and of themselves. I think in a world where we say quite frequently, it's okay to be different. Mm -hmm. It's increasingly difficult to be so actually yeah um yeah. I, I think it gets more and more difficult so those conversations that we have shouldn't be deficit focused we can celebrate our you know our young people's brilliance yeah. as well yeah. as as yeah. well as the difficulties yeah. that come along with parenting you a neurodiverse child we can celebrate our children's individuality yes yeah. that happens sometimes but you'll never guess what happens when exactly. you know when, yeah. when yeah. they're focused on this or when they're achieving that and you know yeah. just just remind people that it's not just a long litany of of issues that, that come yeah, along yeah. with neurodiversity um and then the underlying at all that is understanding whether we can accept it or not, understanding that some people are just never going to get it. Exactly, yeah, it's just accepting that. It, it is, it's accepting that on our part. We want other people to be accepting of us and our young people. We have to accept that some people are never going to share our worldview, which is really yeah. sad because they're never going to have those positive experiences with these young yeah. people that, that yeah. we know and we love. But that's not our fault. It's not our young people's fault. That responsibility lies elsewhere. So we can we can understand that, but we don't have to own it. Okay, that's some really really important advice there. Really good stuff, Elaine. So, okay, now let's look at children's parties. So it's a celebration that some children get excited for, but you know can also cause many a lot of worry and anxiety. Um, so what things should be considered or support strategies put in place to help a neurodiverse child enjoy or get full benefit from being invited to other children's parties? So the first thing I'd say is rewind and listen to all the answers to previous yeah, yeah. questions because yeah. so much of it is in there, isn't it? In yeah. terms of yeah. scoping out the venue, in terms of knowing who's going to be there, yeah. things like pre-meets, looking at food, looking at what, what we're yeah. going to wear. Um the first question I would ask really beyond all that is how much of the party are they likely to be able to yeah. manage? So there's nothing wrong with getting all dressed up and putting your party clothes on if that's what you want yeah. to do. Going along, handing over a present, saying happy birthday and coming home. Yeah, yeah. 
if that's what if that's the level that's that that your that's young person wants that. to be involved in we don't want the noise we don't want the clatter we don't you know if, if we're not going to be able to cope with all that but we still want to be able to participate buying a lovely present you know the yeah. act of getting and excited wrapping that up together yeah. getting dressed up so they look lovely like all the other young people when they turn up handing that over and withdrawing maybe you know yeah. that they'll get their little party bag from the host or yeah, something sure. like that sure. um that's that's a level of participation which is probably comfortable for you know quite yeah. quite, a, quite a lot of children yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. asking yourself how much of the party you want to be involved with will they go at the start might they go halfway might they come away early you know is, is there yeah. just a little bit that you might they sit at the table and eat with other, with other children and that'll be the end of it so understanding the structure and understanding how much your young yeah. person can cope with will promote a really positive engagement with that social event um if they are going to stay at the party for any length of time do they need you to be there with them and mm-hmm. if so what's yeah. your role going to be do they need you next to them do they need you kind of there but not there just in so the background they, yeah so yeah. they can dip, dip in and out yeah. and get that little bit of support when they need it so you might want to negotiate that with your young person in advance if they're kind yeah. of old enough and aware enough to have that conversation or that may be a decision that you've got to make for yourself but definitely mm-hmm. worth thinking about if you're going to be there what is it that you're going to do because you don't want to you know kind of under assume what they can manage yeah, we, we don't yeah. want to kind of over parent them in that situation but then it, it wouldn't be good to under parent them either yeah yeah so I suppose what I'm saying is it's really difficult actually to, yeah, yeah. to make that decision yeah. um other things to think about are you know if, if there's going to be party games does your young person know the rules if this yeah. is their first children's party because I mean it, that's overwhelming for a lot of kids isn't it party games massively so. sort of thing you know like if it doesn't pass the parcel doesn't land on them or whatever like yeah like that. absolutely it's massively so. for a lot of kids I think that mm-hmm. and so if you announce you're going to play a game at a party, so if you say you're going to play music or statues, immediately every child's in the middle of the, da- the dance floor. They all know yeah. what they're doing. There's no explanation. Nobody says this is how we're going to play music or statues. This is how we play past the yeah. parcel. Just everybody understands those innate rules. And it may be that your young person doesn't if they've kind of ducked out of those activities before, mm-hmm. if they've not really been for them. So the good news about this is that you can have loads of fun practicing yeah, party games at home yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can yeah. you can have an amazing even better than a social story you know it's kind of getting involved yeah. and doing it yourself so you can yeah. have loads and loads of fun um you know practicing music or statues pass the parcel ask ask what's likely yeah. to be involved beforehand so that you've got the best job of like you know skilling your young person up to to kind of get through that day and remember that, you know, in, in the playing of those games and the practising, there was loads of social skills development going on, you know, yeah. with things like turn-taking, um, learning that sometimes somebody wins and that's okay and everybody else doesn't win and that's absolutely yeah. fine as well. Um, you know, if there are going to be them kind of competitive games, we probably do need to have those little conversations about how only one person wins and everybody else doesn't. You know, I, I don't like the word losers. <laughs> I think that's mine (laughs) I think that's something I'm carrying so you know one one person usually wins but everybody else doesn't and that's and that's fine you know so we're we're, we're, really these are social skills that'll that'll do them well for the rest of their lives you know even just through simple things like practicing party games so yeah so just being aware of all of that Brilliant. Okay. So what about preparing for something that's nowhere near as exciting as a party, um, but, you know, still causes a shift in routines? 
And so here I'm talking about things like appointments for the dentist or doctors or things like that. Um, so these are really important things that we have to go to, um, but could cause a certain amount of anxiety. I mean, I get I get anxious at, you know, when I've got a dentist appointment, mm. I'm sort of like 35 now, you know, so... <laughs> I think that's an excellent point. You know, it's possible for anybody to feel anxious about yeah. these appointments, you know, whether they're a child or an adult or whether they're neurodiverse or not. It's, yeah. They're just not very nice experiences of them. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that key piece of advice that we gave about parties and social occasions, you know, it's okay to say no doesn't really apply here. If your young person needs to attend a medical appointment, yeah. then they need to attend a medical yeah. appointment. Yeah. So... For me, it's about explaining what it is in the simplest factual terms possible. Um, I know with with a lot of little people that I've worked with, you know, parents will say things like, we're going to take to the dentist and he's going to count your teeth. Which sounds quite, it doesn't sound too threatening, does it? But there's no point in saying that to, you know, a really like clued up and switched on young young person, you know, who's got, you know, maybe, you know, a kind of an autistic spectrum disorder and we'll take that really literally, you know, these magical thinkers because yeah. they, they'll think, well, I can count my teeth in 12 seconds. Yeah. So why six minutes later yeah. Yeah. is yeah. this person still probing around in my mouth with yeah. a mirror? Yeah. Um, so we need to be honest. We need to explain it in like really factual terms, but just keep it really simple. We don't need, mm. you know, medical, unless unless you've got a young person who's really interested in that. Some of them may be... Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So social stories can help again because they're looking at that one specific situation and mm. the expectations, yeah. you know, around that young person's behaviour in that situation. And usually at a medical appointment, they might be answering some simple questions, you know, like with a yes or a no, or it hurts, yeah, or this is happening. And then a lot of the time would be expected to be quite quiet and compliant if you've got a young person who isn't um, predisposed to being quiet and compliant we might again do a little bit of role play or something Mm -hmm. like that you know I'm going to have a look in your throat and I want you not to say anything and I'd like you to sit still you know so so we can have those little little practices um, look at things like comfort packs for waiting rooms look look at having a device look at having a favourite toy um and make medical professionals aware of what's going on internally for your young person. You know, most people who work in the medical profession are there because they want to help. And if there's something that they can do to help make that yeah. a more positive experience or even just a more bearable experience for that young person that you're taking along, you know, let them know in advance. You know, my young person can be upset by this. My young person yeah, finds it difficult with that. And helping them have a bit of uh, preparation in advance. We, we are getting better with that. And then, I mean, the other thing is about giving plenty of warning, if possible, having those frequent low-level conversations, you know, with a yeah. complete lack of excitement, very factual, very matter-of-fact. But then we we'll also have to remember that some medical appointments have happening quite an urgent way yeah uh, so we, we can't always prepare so in that case it is just about maybe remembering to grab a teddy on the way out of the door yeah <laughs> and yeah. doing the best we can with, with what we've got and, and yeah. remembering you know whatever you don't have with you on the day you are the biggest comfort factor for that for that yeah. you know even if yeah. oh, even yeah. if it appear not to be like coping with it very well at all your presence is of immense comfort to them even mm-hmm. if it doesn't look that, that way so that don't way. really need yeah. anything except you I think it's worth bearing yeah. in mind yeah 
Okay, so another transition that can be tricky is the changing routine from being on holiday or, you know, if some people are isolating at home or things like that. You know, how can families prepare for the transition back into the school environment? Yeah, so again, frequent low-level conversations yeah. with, a, with a minimum of excitement, you know, and we're going to go here and it's going to be nice rather than, like, or it's going to be okay, rather than we're going to go here and it's going to be, you know, yeah. that, that level of excitement actually is stressful. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's worth bearing in mind is that the biological, you know, what happens in your body symptoms of anxiety are exactly the same as the biological symptoms of excitement and it's only the yeah. thoughts that we're having at the time that yeah. decide whether we call it one or the other so trying to keep everything on a low level um it's something I've been quite heartened by um you know since kind of the pandemic hit and I think a lot of schools have been quite good at um, yeah. quite focused on young people's like mental health and you know yeah. natural apprehensions around coming back into the school environment so I've heard of them doing things like home visits from key staff. Mm-hmm. That's certainly something that, that we've done here. We've had key yeah. staff kind of like going out and just standing in the garden or at the, at the end of the path, you know, yeah. even just giving the young person a wave through the window if the young person didn't want to come out. Um, videos of the inside of buildings and classrooms or mm-hmm. pictures, you know, these are things that are quite easy to organise and we can show to our young people prior to them coming yeah. back. Um, making sure that the young person is kind of informed and apprised of any changes in the building even things like display boards new members of staff new young people who who might have come in or like they start and so making sure they're aware of any changes any anything that once was familiar that won't be familiar anymore Mm -hmm. routines we've got social distancing in space everybody in place everybody stands two meters apart the lunch queue looks different, timings are different. So important that this information is passed on to the, the little people before before they get back yeah. rather than it being dropped on them when they get here. Um, again, new social stories to remind our young people about expectations of, you know, what the setting's like, what happens in that yeah. setting and what our expectations of them are with, within that setting. Um, depending on their needs, we might need to look at things like a phased start or a reduced timetable. So Mm -hmm. very similar that, you know, when most children start nursery, they might just do like, you know, an hour from nine to 10, or it might just be mornings or, you know, we might be bringing them in for lunch and the hour afterwards. Slowly approach. Absolutely. um, And we want to look at kind of like classroom time and social time and regard them quite differently. You know, they might be ready for one and not ready for the other. So Mm -hmm. how quickly we introduce kind of classroom time and how quickly we introduce social time, we might have to have a a little different plan for both. Um, If you're taking your young person to school, one of the things that it's crucial to do is agree with them in advance or just tell them when the separation point is going to be. Yeah, yeah. So is it, are you going to leave them in the yard? Are you going to walk them through the door? Are you going to hand over to a member of staff? Probably best if you don't make it all the way into the classroom and are, are sitting yeah, next to them hard, as, as it, schools. It, it, yeah. That just makes separation more complex down the road, but we understand sometimes that's the only option. But agreeing that separation point so that young person knows when you're going to withdraw and somebody else is going to take over is absolutely crucial. Um, The focus needs to be when young person kind of re-engages with school, building those relationships with key staff who either know or will come to know your young person really well. 
um, and taking away that kind of expectation and pressure on academic achievement. Um, one of the most unuseful, that's not a word, I've just made it up, <laughs> unhelpful <Fine>. things. <laughs> it's nice, isn't it? Yeah. One of the most unhelpful things I've heard said again and again and again since the very first lockdown is that young people are so far behind now. Yeah, now someone's just so much pressure, doesn't it? Like, And we've, we've got to ask ourselves, who are they behind? Yeah. What are they behind? Yeah. They're all in the same boat. They've yeah. all missed a bit of school. Some people have, you know, some young people have missed more than others. But it's kind of nobody at the minute is, you know, academically where where ideally they might be at the moment. Yeah. Everybody's got gaps. So we've got to stop using this language about catching up and being behind. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, everybody just is where there is. Things are different now and they're going to be different oh. for a long time. So accepting that they're different, getting rid of our expectations and those societal norms that we were talking about before that yeah. caused so much problems and just accepting that our young people are where they are and looking what we need to do between now and the next milestone yeah. to get them where you know to get them where they need to be so taking that pressure off academics looking yeah. at building relationships looking at getting them comfortable getting them happy yes in, in their yes. environment comfortable yes exactly yeah yeah, yeah. No, really, really important advice there. Um, okay, so we're coming to the end of our of our session today now. So our last point to cover. Um, so if you could provide a hit list of the do's and don'ts for managing special occasions and changing routines, what would this list be? So this could be massively long, couldn't it, given everything that we've <laughs> yeah, covered, but I've decided yeah. to distill it to a few key points. So yeah, yeah do. So do prepare as much as possible mm-hmm. um don't worry about it yeah absolutely try not to worry but bear in mind it's probably impossible to overthink if we find our overthinking turn into anxieties then we'll probably need to scale it back a bit but yeah. do prepare as much as possible do talk to your young person in advance little and often low-key conversations that will normalize what's about to happen that will validate their feelings around it you know and just even if we're really, really excited, try and just keep it level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because yeah. because excitement is anxiety. The body processes it. The two things in exactly the same way. So no matter how excited we are, just try and keep it low level. Frequent, short conversations. And if we yeah. sense our child's being kind of overwhelmed by that, just taking a step back and scaling it down again. Yeah. yeah. Get do get your young person's input. Yeah. Um, I mean, if, if they're That's a little, awesome. a little literally, then they might not be able to have quite so much input. But certainly, your old, older young people, yeah. definitely, you know, what what do they want from the day? What are their hopes? What are their fears? Get their input. You know, these plans that we're putting in place. Get them to get them to agree to them. Take some ownership. Yeah. You know, validate those anxieties and ask collaboratively what what are we going to do in order mm-hmm. to you know what what can I do for you what what would be best on the day so those collaborative conversations really important nobody knows them better than they do and celebrate all small achievements that you, that's it what they do yeah. however far you've got into that day that you've planned together. We celebrate everything that's happened and we forget about everything that hasn't. Yeah. And that'll promote a really good positive experience, which you can hopefully build on for next time. And next time, it may only be that we do 10 minutes more, but that's still a build, that's isn't it? It's still a, yeah, exactly. still a thumbs yeah. up. So there's your do's, your don'ts. Don't worry about saying no. 
yeah. saying no to everything, saying no to part of it, saying no, no, my child doesn't, you know, doesn't want to do that. Don't feel guilty about saying no to anything. It can be hard, but it's an important thing to keep in your mind, isn't it? You know, it it can be hard, but it's no harder than trying to manage a child in crisis in a room full of exactly. six hundred people yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> who are just trying exactly. to have, have a nice day. It's yeah. kind of like it's kind of short term discomfort for long term gains sometimes. Yeah. Um, so your other don't follows on quite nicely from that. Don't worry about what other folks think. Um, mm-hmm. Do whatever you have to do to enable your young person to engage to the extent that is comfortable for them and for you as you know, as a caregiver. Um, try not. It's easy to say, isn't it? But try not to worry about what what other people are thinking mm-hmm. and how they're judging what you and your young person are doing. Um, don't have big surprises. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was I thought do I need to put that on my list given everything that we've talked about but yes I think it's worth re-emphasizing yeah, uh, yeah. we tend to frame surprises it's really positive it was surprise yeah. and lovely but actually to some of these young well, people then. who are living with neurodiverse conditions a surprise is just a shock and when, yeah. you, when you frame it like that it sounds very different it's got a very yeah. negative co- uh, connotation and lastly the last don't goes with the last two don't worry about what's not accomplished if your young person's accomplished anything at all then just you you know celebrate celebrate what's been and just forget about what what, what's not happened um it's about reframing our expectations as well I think sometimes okay well thanks so much Elaine that sort of just brings us to the end of today's podcast um so just a really big thank you to you for your time today and for providing some brilliant and really practical advice that people can take away and implement straight away. So to all of our listeners, if you would like to find out more about the support resources that we have available, please do visit our website with the slackgroup.co.uk forward slash resources for more information. Um, or you can email us as well on webinars at with So a big thank you to Elaine once again, and I hope to all of our listeners, you can join us for another podcast in future. Bye for now.